0: Well, good morning, West Shore. It's good to see you out. Thank you for being here as part of the worship service today. Thank God for allowing you to be here. Well, as I said, my name is Ben, and uh, uh, my pastor Trent invited me to be able to speak this morning to you uh, while he's away on his sabbatical. I want to express my gratitude for him thinking of me as one of the speakers uh, while he's away to be able to do that. I want to thank the elders for allowing me to be here. Uh, I've had the privilege to get to know Trent and Renee Uh, through our monthly meetings and prayer times together as we connect with other churches to pray about how we can move the gospel out into the community in our region by partnering as churches. So I want to thank God for that. And thank you for your warm reception. Uh, West Shore has been very kind. Uh, People have been very warm this morning. I just want to say thank you for that reception. Today, we're in Genesis chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22 to a very familiar passage of Scripture. I'll read aloud, and then you can follow along silently here in a moment, but I'll give you a moment to find it in your Bibles as I'll be referencing the text at various points throughout the message. I'll pick up at verse one. We'll read 14 verses together. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah And Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Would you join me as I pray and ask God's blessing on our times? Would you mind bowing me just for a moment? Heavenly Father, I give thanks to you for another opportunity to be one of the many vessels that you use to speak to your people. I readily want to to admit and confess in the presence of these people that I am unable to accomplish the assigned task without the aid of your spirit. Please help me. Please use me as a tool. Please speak through me to these, your people. If, Father, in some way, because you know all things, you see all things, nothing is hidden from you. If I have displeased you in any way, would you pardon me so that your spirit may work through me, not for my sake, but for your name's sake and for the good of your people? that Christ may be the only one honored. Glorify yourself in the eyes of these people and do them good so so that today as they leave here, they might live lives that are pleasing to you. Please bless this church and bless its leaders. Lord, I humbly ask these requests in the name of the resurrected Messiah, Jesus. Amen. God, you raised Jesus from the dead. Make my child's heart beat again. Even now, it's not too late for you. You raised Lazarus from the dead. Father, all things are possible for you. You can make my child live again. Help, Lord. Save, Lord. Where am I going to go? You're the words. The one with the words of eternal life. I uttered these words 13 years ago in a prayer of desperation as I drove alone down Eisenhower Boulevard fighting through tears and a kaleidoscope of emotions. We had recently come from an ultrasound visit and the words of the physician were freshly seared into my mind. I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. The shock felt as if someone had shoved us out of reality into a nightmare. I remember thinking to myself, is this really happening to us? See, we had just recently moved from Dallas to Pennsylvania so that I could work at Living Water Community Church and I had only been at the church a few months. We had no family nearby, no friends to call to allow us to grieve with and help us to overcome this emotionally difficult situation in our lives. Think of it, new area, new job, no family, no friends, and now a miscarriage. I cannot overstate the fact that the impact of that event in our lives reverberated for years. And after the birth of our son, we would have a similar incident happen a second time. What do we do when we find ourselves in the crucible of affliction? I must admit, this is not the first time that I encountered a trial in life. I remember being in Dallas Uh, in seminary, closer near to the end of my time, finishing up, when I received that call that no child wants to receive from their mother. My mother called me to break the news to me, and on the other end of the line, she said those words, you don't want to hear your mother say, I have breast cancer. Perhaps you've been there, or maybe you're there Right now, Like me, like my wife, or like others, you find yourself in a place where the pressure of life is bearing down on you. Maybe for you, you have a loved one who's suffering either mentally or physically from some kind of challenge. Maybe in your occupation, your company just lost the largest account. Maybe there's a child or a grandchild that's having some struggles in life and making decisions that are detrimental to their future. And despite the counsel you've given, they continue down that path and all you can do now is pray. Maybe you're sitting in this room and though your faces are smiling, when you leave this place, you know there's a struggle. You're in your marriage and you're working on it and you're listening to Pastor Trent and you're trying to be a servant, trying to live in the way God wants, but nothing you seem to do is improving your relationship with your spouse. Maybe you're here today and your heart is broken. The person you had envisioned that you thought was gonna be your tomorrow has decided that they don't want to continue with you. Maybe even they've returned the ring. Maybe you are the one who's battling with disappointment as you lost the election. Maybe they hired someone else instead of you. Maybe you've listened to Pastor Trent and you've taken your faith seriously and you're trying to witness but you seem to be making no progress. You pray. You read your Bible, you listen to sermons, you serve, you faithfully attend church, and yet God seems farther away than he did before. Maybe you're sitting in this room and your child or grandchild is struggling in school. Or maybe you're here and you've just finished another semester at Messiah and what you're thinking to yourself is, I'm trying. I'm doing the best that I can and my educational pursuits are not turning out the way that I hope. Or maybe for you, as you're listening, you're thinking about the tension in your family with other members who are in the larger context. And whenever family reunions happen and maybe there's one coming up, you're not looking forward to it. Or maybe, like my family a few years ago, you earnestly pray that God would heal a member of your family. And that member passed away. Perhaps you've taken your faith seriously also, and you've gone out and let others know that you're a Christian. And it seems like from the moment that you told others that you were a Christian, life has just become difficult. What do we do when we suffer as Christians. Well, this particular instance in Abraham's life offers us insight into one of the potential reasons that we might encounter a season of suffering in our lives as well as how God wants us to respond when we find ourselves in these moments. What I wanna do in our brief time together is simply highlight to you two things, two thoughts From Abraham's heart-rending experience. And I hope by God's grace in some way this will be of a small benefit to you in your walk with God. Now I need to state this up front. As I talk about the text it's going to raise some questions about God that I am not going to answer for the sake of time and for other reasons. But please know that. So here we are. Genesis chapter 22, and in the narrative of the way it plays out in the text, this functions as the culmination of Abraham's life story as God calls him, as we remember from Genesis 12, to go again. In the words of one scholar, John Lawler, he put it like this. When viewed as a whole, the Abraham cycle is a study in progression, development, development, and maturing. Now, if you read through Abraham's life in Genesis, you'll notice that there are moments of faith in his life. And by faith, I mean that, a trust that results in loyalty and obedience to God. You might recall his departure from Haran where God asked him to leave his family and move to a place he didn't know. And he did that. He gave a tithe of all that he had to God and would not accept a reward after war from a pagan king because he believed that God would reward him. He trusted that God would provide him an heir, though biologically speaking, that should have been impossible. He obeyed God by taking and giving to every male in his house the sign of the covenant, despite the pain. He worshiped God on several occasions. And emotionally, though it grieved him greatly, at God's command, the son that he loved, Ishmael, he sent him away. But you'll also notice something else in Abraham's life, which is on occasion he wavered in his faith. A few examples might come to mind who are familiar with this story. There were those two times when he compromised his wife's integrity out of fear. Or there was that time that he and his wife hatched a plan to help God out by them devising a way to produce an heir and did not wait on God. See, Abraham's life is a picture of maturing faith. In the opening words of Genesis 22, we find that it has been at least a decade. We're not really sure how long it's been, but at least a decade since Isaac, the promised son, was born. And for the first time in scripture, we run into this concept that God tests people. If you notice in the text what it says, God tested Abraham. Now, the test that God designs for Abraham, I must admit, left me perplexed because, to be honest, it seems inconsistent with who God is from what we know of his later commands as we continue to read through Scripture. And we might be tempted to want to attribute this to some other source than God. But the text does not leave us that option. No, this is God. Abraham's God. What does the test involve? If you look at the text, it says it plainly there. Offer up Isaac as a burnt offering. I will spare you the details of what that request involved, because there might be some here that it would be traumatizing to hear those details. But the text does indicate that God realized the gravity of what he was asking. If you're looking at your ESV Bible, you won't notice it there because they didn't bring it over in the translation, but Old Testament scholars reckon it; they recognize it and they bring it across, one such as Gordon and when he does his own translation and his commentary, and he translates the opening words of that command as, please take. He goes on to write, the use of please is rare in a divine command and makes it more like an entreaty. Another hint that the Lord appreciates the costliness of what he is asking. See, God knows our emotional attachment to people and what it costs us when he tests those relationships. Just like when he tested Abraham With Isaac. Look at verse 2. Notice how he describes his son. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now keep in mind that God is in the process of testing Abraham, which lets us know that God is really not looking for a child sacrifice here. Fortunately, the narrator provides us with this information up front to ease us into the text. However, like us, when we encounter text, test in life, Abraham has not provided that information. For him, it's a real event happening. He was in the dark. And for most of us, when we encounter tests, that's exactly how it happens in our lives. We're in the dark. We're not sure what's going on. And the narrator doesn't take time to tell us God's reasons. It's silent about that. And if for some unknown divine reason, God deemed it necessary to test Abraham, just like God might deem it necessary to test you. The opening verses bring us to the first idea that I want to share in our time together. And it's simply this, expect the test. Expect the test. Please know that God tests his people. And as such, you want to be emotionally and mentally prepared for when these things show up in your lives. How do I come to that conclusion? Well, scripture leads me down that path. Let me give you a few examples. God tested Israel, both in the wilderness and in the promised land. God tested King Hezekiah. David, in Psalm 26, requested that the Lord would test him. A familiar story, Job, God tested him. God even tested the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus tested Philip in John 6.6. And knowing all of these things about the text, the Apostle James leaves us with the expectation that we will face trials and tests in this life, even though we're following Jesus. He says such in a very familiar passage of scripture, one you probably know by heart. James chapter one, verses two and three. Count it all joy, my brothers, and we might say sisters here as well, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Scripture is clear. God tests his people. So, what methodology does God use when he wants to test someone? Well, James has already made the correlation for us in the text, but God states it plainly through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. Let me show that text to you. Here, God speaking through the prophet Behold, speaking to Israel, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. So when God wants to test a person, he uses affliction, trials, hardship, difficulty, and suffering. One pastor who shared a message on this said, listen, I liked what he said in the message. His name is Scott LaPierre. And he brings out this idea of why God uses trials to test us. He says, our faith cannot be subjected to the same test as coal metals. Faith cannot have acid poured on it, receive the scratch test, or be heated to a certain temperature. However, it can be subjected to trials that reveal its value or its worthlessness. We see in the text that once Abraham has been tried, that his faith comes out in platinum quality. Now, why would God be testing you? Why would God test me in life? The text tells us right at the end in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Here, the angel of the Lord is speaking to Abraham and states clearly God's purpose for this test. Verse 12, he says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God wanted to know if Abraham feared God. But this is not the only time that this idea comes up in Scripture. Moses is going to say it later to Israel when he said this. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you might not or may not sin. What do I mean here by fear of God? Well, fear of God refers to that deep trust that a person ought to have in God that evidences itself in obedience to God's revealed will. If you wonder where God's will is, it's Scripture. That's where you find it. That's where I find it. Moses would go on to say something similar later to Israel in their history and gets at the same idea. He repeats it again when he said this. And you should remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. When we come to the New Testament, we find the same idea raised again by the Apostle Peter, but he puts it and frames it in a New Testament context. He writes it this way, speaking to believers, that would be us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One scholar took time to survey all of the Hebrew and the Greek words that were used Related to this idea of testing, and there's a number of words used, and he looked at different stories in which the concept was raised, and after looking at all of Scripture, he came to the conclusion that there are three kind of things that God is doing when he's testing us with the trials of life. One, God reveals whether or not we're loyal to him through a test. Two, he authenticates whether there is true faith or not present in him, and three, he refines that faith. So God uses hardships, difficulties, suffering in life to check for the presence of faith in a person and to improve it. John Walton captures the heart of this test in his commentary when he sums up what God is getting at when we're put in testing situations. He writes, the test seeks to discover the motivating factor in our relationship with God. Is it God himself or is it the benefits he provides and the hope he offers? What is it for you? One of the sisters at our church shared this testimony and she allowed me permission to share her story with you. Some years ago, uh, she started to battle with a skin rash such that a nature of the nature that it caused uh, inflammation of her skin that others could readily see, and it caused severe itching. To alleviate the problem, her husband and her took a number of steps. Some I would consider to be drastic. One, they sold the home that they were in and moved to a new house because they weren't sure if the home was causing it. She sought medical attention numerous times, and she radically changed her diet to deal with this issue because of how bad it was plaguing her. And over time, it seemed that these methods that she had taken addressed the issue as the skin rash went away. But last fall, out of the blue, it returned. And she found herself angry and negative at God for months because God had allowed This hardship to return in her life despite all the effort that she and her husband had made to get away from this. But somewhere at the beginning of this year, I don't know through her devotions, God convicted her heart. She realized her posture spiritually toward God and she began to change her perspective. Instead of focusing on what was going wrong in her life, she began to focus on all the good things that God had done for her and began to thank him and began to believe that God could heal her again. And with other methods, surprisingly, as her attitude changed, the rash went away. See, tests reveal our character and the quality of our faith. Now that we've looked at the first idea, let me briefly run on to the second one and transition to it. And it is simply this. Pass the test by fearing God. Pass the test by fearing God. God. So Abraham in the text shows us the way to respond to a God-ordained test in our life. We notice in the text that he acts similarly as he had done with Ishmael, verse 3. Abraham does not hesitate to obey. He rose early in the morning to make preparations. Now the narrator does not allow us a window into Abraham's inner world. His inner world is hid from us. What was Abraham thinking? What was he feeling? Was there a moment in Abraham's life as he was considering doing this that he might have asked himself, what in the world is God doing asking me to do something like this? Instead, the narrator points our attention in a different direction. He focuses solely on Abraham's actions and words. We might infer from the way we see Abraham prepare that it seems like he does things out of order, which may suggest to us that there is severe inner turmoil going on. God had already asked years earlier for him to give up one son that he loved, and now God was asking for the only other son that he had. God was pressing Abraham to his limits. We notice in the text that he travels three days, but the narrator doesn't give us any indication that there's a desire for him to turn back. I imagine in my mind that those days must have felt heavy and long. Once they arrived at the site, we're left in silence as a father and a son traverse the terrain alone to this divine destination with only a question from the unsuspecting Isaac, to break the barrier of silence. Father, we have the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb? But it's Abraham's two statements that seem to point us when we combine with his actions in the direction of faith inwardly at Abraham. He says to his servants, I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will come again you. To Isaac he simply said God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son. He continued to the place of sacrifice, bound his son Isaac on the wood raised the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham was fully committed to obeying God's command. The only thing that prevented him God? Perhaps the narrator focuses solely on his actions, and words, because as we read this story, this historical account, when we have conflicting thoughts or emotions during stress-inducing situations, what matters most is not the struggle internally, but what we actually do and say. From Abraham, we see that he demonstrated that he chose to trust and rely on God. He believed that God could keep his promises. We know this not because I'm saying it, but because a New Testament writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this in Hebrews. We find the text, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In Abraham's mind, how did he believe that God could keep his promises? Abraham believed that God could raise the dead. Now, this is not a new belief in Abraham's life. Romans chapter 4, the latter part of that, verses 16 through 25, tell us that Abraham already had this kind of faith because Abraham had already experienced God's resurrecting power in the birth of Isaac. Abraham had trusted him then, and he was trusting God now. When we run in a test in life and God is pressing us to our limits. We must in those moments choose to trust and rely on God. We know that God loves us because he sent his son into the world for Christ who died for our sins. And as we sang earlier, we know that God has the power to help us overcome in our trials because he raised Jesus from the dead and he has gifted every believer in this room with his Holy Spirit. And the way that we fear God in these moments is that we persevere in faith through trials, by continuing to love God and love others. We don't abandon God and adopt an ungodly lifestyle because we don't like what God is doing in our lives. No, we choose to believe in Jesus, believe in God, and in the darkness, though we might not understand why we continue to trust And if there are moments when our faith begins to waver, we confess those struggles of faith to God. Just like the man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But don't do it alone. God has given you a family. Depend on the church. Keep seeking God's faith in Christ. And even if you don't know why, keep obeying Christ's commands. Not in your own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. Focus your mind on the things that are good that God has done for you in the past and give thanks to him for those things. And then wait. Wait on God. And when you do these things, you will find that you pass the test of life. Let me close with a true testimony of a person of how this worked out in his life. And I quote, back in 1932, I was 32 years old and a fairly a new husband. My wife, Nettie, and I were living in an apartment on Chicago's south side. One hot August afternoon, I had to go to St. Louis where I had been featured as the soloist at a large revival meeting. I didn't want to go. Nettie was in the last month of pregnancy for our first child but a lot of people were expecting me in St. Louis. In the steaming St. Louis heat, the crowd called on me to sing again and again. When I finally sat down, a messenger boy ran up to me with a Western Union telegram. I ripped it open and pasted on the yellow sheet were the words, your wife just died. When I got back, I learned that Nettie had given birth to a boy. I swung between grief and joy. And yet that night, my son died. I buried Nettie and our little boy together in the same casket. Then I fell apart. For days, I closeted myself. I felt that God had done me an injustice and I didn't want to serve him anymore or write any gospel songs. I just wanted to go back to jazz, the world that I had known so well. But I was lost, lost in grief. Everyone was kind to me, especially a friend, Professor Fry, who seemed to know just what I needed. On the following Saturday evening, He took me to Malone's Pearl College, a neighborhood music school. It was quiet. The late evening sun crept in through the curtains of the window. I sat down at the piano, and my hands began to browse over the keys. That evening, Thomas A. Dorsey would go on to begin to write the gospel song known as Precious Lord. Take my hand. Dorsey would go on for years to continue to write gospel songs from that point and even lead choirs with well-known artists like Mahalia Jackson. In the years to come, he would become known as the father of gospel music. How do we pass the trials and test of life? We first expect the test, and we pass the test by fearing God. There's one other element of the text that I have left unaddressed. We notice in the text that Abraham did not sacrifice Isaac. Instead, he sacrificed a ram as a substitute in his place. Today, we have the privilege to celebrate communion and we are reminded as we look at these elements that something similar has happened for us. And what Abraham said back then is still true for us today. The Lord will provide. And the Lord has provided for us the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our sin, through Jesus who gave his life for us. Those who are serving, if you would come now, we'll prepare our hearts to be able to take communion together. So as our servers are coming and taking their seats as we prepare our hearts for communion, I just want to remind you of what Pastor Trent always says to you. This is an ordinance that we observe at the Lord's command. A couple of instructions just to remind you, if you're a believer here, maybe you're visiting like me, but you have faith in Jesus Christ, we welcome you because you are part of God's family. You have faith in the Son to dine with us today. If, however, you're here today and you've not yet come to the place where you have faith in Jesus Christ, we simply ask you to do two things. One, observe this part of the service and let the elements pass you. And two, take a moment to reflect on the claims of Scripture, of who Christ is and what we as believers profess about him. And then think about your spiritual condition before God. And if the Lord, by his spirit, will move on your heart that you would want to place faith in Jesus Christ, we would love to talk with you after the service about that decision and what God may be doing in your heart and how you can be part of God's family. In just a moment, the service will come. They'll distribute the elements and once everyone has been served, we'll take these elements together. Believer, brother and sister in Christ, as you await the elements to come and others to be served, take time to reflect on Christ giving his life in your place. It is because of this gift that we're even here today. Would the service come now and share with our brothers and sisters in Christ?